Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast and looking forward to having a conversation today with Justin Knight, who is an attorney with the Perry Law Firm here in Nebraska. And I'm so grateful that Justin took the time to visit with us today because personally, at least, and in the conversations that I've been able to have regarding artificial intelligence, uh, there's a lot of questions kind of circling from school leaders uh, and classroom practitioners alike regarding things like copyright and plagiarism and what that might mean for plagiarism policies and student work and student info. Are those resources secure? And so we're going to really touch upon a number of different things today. So grateful that Justin took some time, yeah, to not only visit with us, but to really put in some prep work to give us the best information that we have available at this point in time. And so, Justin, thank you so much for joining us for the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Andrew, for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. Uh, you said that school practitioners and educational leaders have a lot of questions about artificial intelligence. And I think in my realm, which is the school law realm or, or maybe the legal realm generally, there are a lot of really, really interesting questions about AI on, on all of the issues you talked about. So I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. And thanks again for having me. Yeah. And Justin, for folks that don't know you, can you share a little bit about your history with uh, education law and the role that you play on a regular basis there uh, working for Perry Law? Sure. I'm an attorney with the Perry Law Firm. We're located out of Lincoln, Nebraska. We represent a number of school districts and ESUs across the state. So we, we get a good variety of smaller districts, larger districts, and everywhere in between. We see a lot of different legal issues from student issues to staff issues to construction, contracts, negotiations, open meetings act, records requests. We see a lot of different things and there's always something new in education law because there's always new things that society and schools are dealing with. And so one of our roles is to help boards with policies and handbooks and wording uh, new rules in a way that fits and, and kind of keeps current with what's going on. And, and one of those recently has been the topic we're talking about, which is artificial intelligence. And I've had the opportunity to visit with different school districts about their policies and trying to tailor those policies. So looking forward to that discussion as well as what are districts doing and what should they be doing as well? Well, I'm ready for it. So we'll kind of just dive in then, I guess. In our informal conversations before we hit record today, you noted a number of some of the things that you've heard or read about or uh, just been exposed to on a scale larger than Nebraska, right? And so that we obviously are looking across the country and really even around the world a little bit to see the ways in which people are thinking about this technology as it pertains to some of the topics we're going to cover later today. So yeah, what are some of those ways in which we can frame this conversation by looking outside of Nebraska first? Yeah, that's that's a great starting point because I've heard about AI. I've, I've known generally about AI, but I, I really didn't get that deep into the weeds of it until I read a story that I that I saw in a professional newspaper that I get. And it talked about an attorney in a different part of the state who had used artificial intelligence to prepare a brief or written arguments to a court. And as part of the attorney asking 
the artificial intelligence software to prepare a written argument for him, which he then submitted to the court. It turned out that the judge noticed that the legal citations included in that brief didn't actually exist. And so what seems to have happened based on what I've read is that an attorney used this software to help them with their work, didn't double check it, submitted it to the court and is now in trouble with the judge. And so I thought there were a number of really fascinating aspects of that that piqued my interest. One of which was, is it actually possible to input a request into AI to generate a brief like that? Because otherwise it would take you know, pretty significant amount of, of research and time to prepare something like that where you need an attorney or somebody dedicated to doing that. So was it even possible to, to be that efficient? But then also other maybe more ethical issues of is that something you should be doing? What are your responsibilities to double check? How accurate is AI? And so I, I started going down the rabbit hole of AI and, and what the, all of the other implications would be. And I saw examples where doctors would use AI to help them diagnose patients. And what are the ethical implications of that if you're relying on AI, but it misses something? I've also seen some financial advisor type groups that have promoted AI as being more accurate or more predictable than if you use a person as your financial advisor. And then similar to that, accountants. There was one program that I saw that offered for a certain amount. Their software could do all of your taxes for you and all you had to do was type in the information that it needed and it would fill out the tax forms for you. So. It seems like if we're headed in this direction, there are definitely some advantages to AI, but there are also pretty, what I would consider to be significant questions from a legal aspect as well of who really owns these works and what responsibilities do users have to, you know, I guess, be responsible with that? And are there guardrails or are there, there are absolute no zones that you would need to enact in? And I think this is a great conversation now before it really becomes everywhere. I know it's a lot of places, but maybe it's not everywhere now, where school leaders in particular should be thinking about this, not by looking at national examples, but also be thinking about how will AI be used in the school? And maybe more so, how are we thinking about preparing students to use AI in the future with a lot of these really big unknowns still out there? It is fascinating to think about the impact of this technology across the different professions that are out there. And for folks that maybe hear us entertaining those and saying to themselves, yeah, but I'm a teacher, I'm an educator, yeah, but that's where your students are headed. As we just said there, the impact of this technology is going to be widespread across all of these different disciplines as our learners grow up and into jobs that this will be able to support them in. And so uh, certainly worth thinking about it in that context and, and then letting that inform us in education on the things that we should be thinking about. Like you said, it's not just about the privacy of the medical records in the example that you gave. We're talking maybe about what does that mean for student work or student information. And so making those connections is important. So in your role, I'm sure then you've started to have some conversations with 
Nebraska educators about this? And so maybe kind of start to bring that in a little bit. What's been your personal experience as folks in our state are starting to work through thinking about this technology? I've been surprised at the differences of opinion of how different schools have approached the use of AI, where I've started to think of it on a spectrum where on the one end, there are some schools that would say AI is here. We're not going to pretend like it's not. We are going to embrace it with open arms and any student can use AI as long as they want. As long as they cite to it and they give credit and they are honest about it, then we will allow it because it's here and we might as well use it. The other end of the spectrum would be, this is so new, it's so untested. We know how to teach students and we know how students can learn. We don't want anything to do with it. So you can't use it at all. If you use it at all, we would consider that to be either plagiarism or an abuse of our academic integrity policy. So those are the ends. And then I found there's maybe, I don't want to say a majority, but there are a lot of schools that I work with at least that are somewhere in the middle, which is a position of acknowledging that AI is here. And there may be situations where students are able to use it. And if they do so responsibly, but can't simply copy and paste prompt to create an essay and turn that in without giving it any credit. One of the analogies that was used to me that I've thought a lot about actually that I think is is an interesting perspective. There was an administrator who gave me the analogy of AI is kind of like a calculator where in early versions of math, you're not allowed to use a calculator. But when you get into more advanced math, trigonometry with sines and cosines and things that people a lot smarter than me have to figure out, it doesn't do a lot of good to have a student try and figure those out by hand. The assumption would be they would need a calculator to help them. So the analogy that was given to me, which I think makes a lot of sense in some respects, is for some classes or some assignments, AI doesn't really belong, but maybe there are other situations where it can be a tool to help the student out. And so, again, that's probably going to fall back on the educator or the district to decide where on the spectrum they fall and who is making the decision of whether it's allowed for this assignment or this class, and even if it's allowed at all. But I've, I've been surprised and I've reflected on it, and I don't know why I've been so surprised, but I've been surprised at just the number of different perspectives that I've heard on AI and different schools' approaches to it. You know, as you're sharing that, it makes me think about the various justifications that I do think are incredibly valid for the polar opposite ends of that spectrum, right? This is a tool that has great power and also at the same time as a result poses some very significant concerns that I think are both worth taking into consideration as we think about exposing and promoting this with children. Right? So, uh, I, you know, to dive into some of that as we're getting a chance to share today, I do want to frame this for folks that might be new to the conversation. I encourage you to go back to previous podcast episodes to learn more about artificial intelligence versus generative artificial intelligence. AI is the broad umbrella term under which generative AI, where the technology is really creating something new. So if we can think about, I love the calculator example that Justin shared there, instead of the output being a number, uh, that the output could be 
an essay that, that you really have just asked it to write for you or a photo that you've asked through a prompt for it to create an image or a video and, and these technologies. Uh, I want to take this opportunity too, before we start to really dive into the weeds here to say uh, is not only chat GPT, that there are uh, hundreds of tools and there's only going to be more uh, that are accessible and meant for education for that matter, that have this type of generative technology built within it. And for those that say we're going to block this, I know that Google is very actively looking to integrate this into things like Google Classroom and their email system. And those pieces are about as integral to some districts as any technology is. And so it's, it's going to be there before the school year is out. I would be surprised if it's not. So with all of that said, then to think about some of those things that we brought up and I'll throw it back over to you, Justin, let's, let's dive into that copyright piece because Part of the reason I reached out in the first place was my eyes were opened up to a national example when Matt Miller joined us for the podcast, where he had heard about a school in Florida where a student used ChatGPT to write an essay. And when the student admitted to that, according to their plagiarism policy, this led to repercussions for the student. He was kicked out of a certain baccalaureate program, if I have the story correct. So is this plagiarism? Who owns the copyright for generative AI created content? It's a great question. And it's a question that, to my knowledge, no court has addressed yet. It's really, really fascinating to think about it, not just from a, a legal or, or a philosophical perspective, but a, a practical perspective as well. The copyright and patent system that we have actually dates back as early as the country was formed. There's a provision in the Constitution that the Founding Fathers included that ensured that there would be protections for individuals who created new work and to encourage progress and innovation and to make sure that, that the government wouldn't own that. So since then, there have been laws and regulations and cases over who owns work and works that are similar but different enough get their own separate copyrights. And so it's, it's, it's really been interesting to look at AI through the lens of copyright law, because if we take a maybe an obvious example of if I sit down in my home office and I write a 250 page murder mystery about, for instance, a detective in London who's trying to solve a murder, and I write it by myself, I'm not paid by anyone to write it, I just do it and I print it, sell it, I own the copyright to that novel. It's mine and a company can't come in, take word for word what I wrote, sell it themselves without violating the copyright provisions that, that I'm able to maintain. With the types of AI software that you mentioned, where if I input into one of those software programs, prepare a 250 page novel for me about a detective in London who's solving a murder, and the program spits something out for me and I take that and I start selling it. I didn't write it, but it was created because of my actions. Had I not asked it to do that, it wouldn't exist. So there's, there's really important but complicated questions about who really owns the output of those. Uh, it's interesting in, in looking into this, as far back as 1965, there were reports to Congress about concerns about computer-generated work, 
for largely the same conversation we're having here, but in, in obviously a much different context of if you're using computers for coding, how does that work with the copyright laws? Because there's a rule that copyrights would largely need to be by human work. So ever since then, there have been updates with the copyright rules that would allow for exceptions for computer assisted work, but there's really no clear rule yet, at least on how the copyright laws work with AI and, and other types of creations or works produced by, by the AI software. Like I said, there haven't been any cases that I could find or I know of, of a court specifically addressing who owns the intellectual property to the output of an artificial intelligence program. There is an interesting case where a monkey took pictures of itself using someone's camera, and there was a question of who owns those photos. Apparently, this was a big deal because the monkey figured out how to take pictures, and those pictures were particularly valuable, and, and I guess a magazine wanted wanted to publish those. And so there was this dispute over who owned those photos and who had to pay who to, to have access to those photos. That, in one of the articles I read, that case was analyzed in the sense of AI, of if you didn't actually take the photo, but it was your camera, do you own it? If you helped the monkey, train the monkey, and so I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to insult anyone by comparing any of this to a monkey, but I think it, it is an interesting analogy of, is it the person who, you know, started the software? Is it the website domain owner? Is it the person who inputted it? And, and I don't really know, but I think in the context of academic integrity and plagiarism, that would be an important part for educators to make sure they know what the expectations are, and also for students to make sure they understand what the expectations are. Because I, I wouldn't want it to become a legal back and forth of, is this actually the student's essay or not? Instead, I think it's probably more valuable of, there's a lot of unknowns to this. And so you may have a student assignment where they're expected to go pull three or four different resources on a topic and whether they can use AI for that and whether they need to cite AI for that, I think may be more relevant, but it is a really interesting question of who, who actually owns the work legally that it's probably gonna take some time for the courts to sort out. Well, and that's, and I'm so grateful that we're having this conversation now and trying to get this out as early into the school year or before the school year for some as possible because I do think that keeping what you just shared in mind might help districts subtly sh reshape what they likely already have for their plagiarism policies to make sure that they don't get stuck in a situation that, you know, academic integrity. I think mean, like stay, stay focused on that piece maybe in the midst of it. And uh, I, I think that's probably a great place to go because it is something that hasn't been sorted out yet, that intellectual property piece. And is there any, before we start to look at some other topics, uh, anything else that you would add to kind of round that out is particularly for those, whether it's committees or uh, school leadership groups that might, might be the ones that are in charge of that process for their school? However you land on the spectrum example I, I thought about, I, th I think it will be important to communicate clear expectations to your stakeholders. And that if, if you're going to allow 
AI, making sure that students understand the importance of giving credit to the source that they cite. I also think it's it, the example I gave earlier about citing cases that don't actually exist. I could see that coming up as well as, as sort of a secondary or maybe a separate issue of how are we going to make sure that if we allow it, we're not just going to assume that everything that's generated is accurate and, and not focus on it. So those would be the only other two pieces that I would think about. How are you going to approach that? And I suppose if you're a school that doesn't allow AI at all, and a student gives you a work that references resources that don't even exist, that may be pretty good evidence that they use something they weren't supposed to. But I think, uh, as, as you alluded to, Andrew, there are a lot of questions, and we could probably spend hours and hours on all of the different hypotheticals or what if. So I, I agree with you 100%. Now would be a great time to start having those conversations and whether whether the committee or the group meets throughout the year to maybe update or refine things from lessons learned, I think would be worthwhile. That's, gosh, and so many things that you're sharing there too, I would, I would just like build upon and say, from a classroom practitioner's lens, stay focused on the standards. Right? If the standard is that we're trying to work on writing and expressing your ideas in that, like, then we might ask students to limit or not use this technology at all because it is essentially addressing the standard on behalf of the student. Whereas if that's not the case, then in what ways can we do our best to maybe even think about modeling that for students when that can be assistive towards a different standard in the calculator example that you referenced, I think is probably a great way to, to frame that, Justin. Uh, I would note too that turnitin.com and other places have said that they have things that would help identify whether or not this was a particular document was created through generative AI. It's been found that those will do false positives and false negatives. Uh, and so it, they're not as accurate as the things have been historically with turnitin.com in the past. Uh, and so the technology is just not there yet. And I do really appreciate what you shared there right at the end too, is that consider making space in your staff meetings ongoing to kind of update all the educators in the building on where things stand with this uh, and make space too to continue to learn as the technology evolves. Uh, and so those points added in, uh, we can kind of pivot maybe a little bit to another piece that you referenced there, false information. What kind of stories have you heard about this sort of misinformation? Because it is it hallucinates is the term. It's going to find you an answer, whether it's right or not. And sometimes it's not. And so in those instances, where are some missteps that you've heard about that this has impacted schools, for example, or could impact schools? Yeah, I, I've i just heard, I've not seen anything personally, so I'm not talking about anyone in particular, but I've I've heard or I've read about different stories where teachers have relied on AI to help them draft questions for a quiz. And I don't know if it's true or not, so I won't I won't use any particulars. But as an example, if you're a seventh grade English teacher, let's say you're reading Romeo and Juliet, you could ask, because before this I tried it and it worked, I could ask, give me 10 questions from chapter five of Romeo and Juliet for a seventh grade class. And I got 10 questions and, and they look like pretty good questions. But what if the software thought I was talking about the movie instead of the book? And I realize if you put a chapter in there, it's probably going to know it's a book. But what if a staff member uses AI but isn't double-checking their work? 
That would be difficult, I would think, for the staff member, especially if you have pretty clear expectations for students. What would happen then if staff members or, or administrators who or whoever are using AI and, and not being diligent or not making sure that they're checking their work as well? So I, I think that's an important piece is just the responsibility of if you're going to use it, make sure that it's professional as you would if, if you wrote the questions yourself. The other piece that you alluded to, Andrew, as well, is student information and making sure that student data is secure. And that's a really interesting piece to me as well, because we've been talking about the output side of AI, but what about the input side of it, where AI is in the cloud, in quotes, but it's stored somewhere, or at least there's, there are pieces of it that are stored somewhere. So I worry a little bit about if you're, a, for instance, a special education professional and you ask AI, you know, and again, I don't want to use any software company in particular, but a, one of the AI programs, I have this student, here are the student's disabilities, and you give it information and you say, can you prepare, you know, IEP goals or something for this student? That worries me because I don't know where that student's particular information went. Is it just stored in a server somewhere? Is it secure? Is it being reviewed by others? So I, I think that's an important piece as well, just from a staff and a student confidentiality perspective is what happens in AI may not always stay in AI. I think there are, there are still confidentiality requirements that staff would need to be mindful of. And I don't think it's solely special education that there could be other instances as well that staff need just to be mindful of the fact that if it's confidential and it shouldn't be shared outside of the school, in my view, that would apply to AI as well. No, that makes me think too about some of the programs have age restrictions. So 13 and up, and I think in, in part for some of those reasons. Uh, and as you shared there, and, and again, just put my teacher hat back on too, I, I've seen where educators have asked or have considered asking students to put their work into ChatGPT to get suggestions on how to improve it. But now that student work is in the cloud and is in a place where uh, I'm not sure you can encourage students necessarily to do that because uh, those types of documents are not meant to be shared. Uh, and to your previous point as well, and, and I'm just kind of circling back to some notes that I was taking while you're sharing I heard a teacher advocating for, well, this is kind of a cool thought too, to take vocabulary terms and ask the generative AI to create a story, maybe specific to sports, and then another one specific to a movie, you know, a popular movie or whatever it might be, but essentially to create different passages that students could then read through according to their interests, but still hit the same vocabulary terms that you're trying to focus in on. But in asking it to do this, the list of vocabulary terms is about 15 words long. And in most of the ones that it kicked out, it forgot a vocabulary word or two. So if you're not going back through, you need to go back and do your due diligence, moral of the story, uh, when it comes to some of these things, because otherwise, yeah, it is going to lead to some sticky situations that maybe don't have to have legal ramifications, uh, but certainly aren't going to be the most comfortable of spots. Uh Gosh, a lot covered there, uh, I would say, in a pretty good amount of time. We still have a little bit more left. Where else might we go with thinking about some of the advice that you would 
impart or situations you've seen. I really just would love to continue to, to learn and provide some examples. Yeah. So I think what you already alluded to earlier, Andrew, I think it's going to be more and more important moving forward that schools have, and it's always a very fine balance of you want to have a policy that, that's clear on what the rules or the expectations are, but you also don't want it to be so firm that there are no exceptions and it's, there's no gray area because in most cases, especially in a school or a workplace, there's always going to be a little gray in there where making sure you're comfortable with what your what your district's policy or what your district's expectations are and having an understanding and a buy-in from staff in your curriculum committee like you alluded to i think is going to be really really important moving forward and in particular there are some cases where i could see you know the difference between having a 4.0 and a in a 3.5 or something that hinges on one grade of you fail or, or you get an A. And I may be being dramatic or maybe trying to oversimplify it, but I think if, if you're in a situation where your staff member truly feels like a student abused AI and the students or the student's parents are willing to push back, that policy or that rule is going to be extremely important in determining did the student violate the academic integrity or the plagiarism rule and i realize it's it's not that exciting to say go read policy or go read rules because it's usually a lot and it's, it's not the juiciest topic for for people to look at but it becomes really important when it becomes really important and so if you haven't looked at yours i would do it before the year starts just to make sure if you need to make adjustments or if you need to revise it, you can always do so. Making sure you have something that's accurate is more important than waiting to, to fix it later on. But also just like we've been talking about, being mindful of where all of this is headed. I thought it was interesting, Andrew, in preparing for this, I saw a couple of schools that are working on offering a master's degree in artificial intelligence. And a couple of colleges already offer applied artificial intelligence coursework. And so I, I wonder if they're having a lot of the same dialogue we're having is, is trying to wrap their arms around a lot of this. But if the future is trending toward AI is here, it's only going to be more common. It's, it's only going to be weaved more into the fabric of different professions and what we do. It's probably only going to be even more important for schools to to educate students responsibly about it. And I wonder about what the best way is of if we feel like this is where we're headed. There are a lot of unknowns about it, but this is the direction that as a society we're gravitating towards. I think the focus on schools is, is only going to increase of what are schools doing to, to help students prepare. And I realize that that's easy for me to say when, when I'm not the one in the classroom having to do it. But I do think it is important to start that conversation now if you already haven't done it, just to make sure that if you get asked about it or if there is a problem or a situation that comes up during the year, you've gotten ahead of it rather than trying to react to something unexpected that comes up. Dustin, I'm so grateful for you joining us today because I. I think that 
there will be, and this isn't necessarily a major detriment to any school. So if this is, if you're listening to this now and this didn't happen in your district, it's not an indictment by any stretch, but I, I feel concern for districts and buildings in particular that especially for secondaries if you're not having open dialogue about this as a staff i think that there's just a lot of room uh for misinformation or for certain things to slide and students you know as much as we can sit here and say model it for students and ask them to they're still going to use it as more of a crutch or in place of actually doing the work and so i know too that this is going to ask us to shift our practices and it's going to ask us to like some terms that I've heard in the nerdy education circles <laughs> that I frequent are um, assignment makeovers, right? Well, like so that we can start to make sure that, you know, if the standard isn't writing, what are some other ways in which we can certainly make sure that we have an accurate representation of what students know? And so with that, it is it is going to change things. You referenced kind of that higher ed piece. I I can't imagine what it's like for admittance letters or scholarships uh, when the written piece has historically been such a hallmark of what allows for students to receive some of those opportunities. Uh, And uh, as a part of the show notes here, so to kind of round that out too, I'm going to make sure that I include a little bit of guidance with regards to how to cite uh, when you're using something from a generative AI tool. So that'll that'll be there. And at admin days, I had some administrators ask if there were some free courses that they could share with their staff. Uh, and so I bring that up too, because Justin, you said a moment ago, kind of ongoing professional learning uh, that will need to take place. And so I'll, I'll put a link in a couple of links in the show notes to point to some of those in case people are interested in those resources. But um, I just kind of dumped a lot there. <laughs> those are all sort of spurred from what you had to share. So maybe Is there anything else uh, maybe before we bring today's episode to a close? No, I've enjoyed the conversation and appreciate you having me and a very thought-provoking dialogue we've had. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. And so thanks for taking the time to help lead in this conversation that we're all likely having or will have in the not-too-distant future as it pertains to artificial intelligence, generative AI, uh, and education. So thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you.